What is true freedom, and how can we enjoy it ourselves and invite others to come and enjoy it as well? This is Truth Encounter, and our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is going to explore an incredible statement the Apostle Paul makes in verse 23. Everything is permissible. What kind of religious leader would ever give advice like this, and why did he give it? Let's join Dave Wurtson and together try to figure out what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Paul has been warning very strongly against the involvement of the Corinthian church in idolatry. And for the last several weeks, he's been warning us, exhorting us very strongly against any involvement with what you might call the secular kingdom of darkness, the secular world system. And you might conclude from what the Apostle Paul has been saying that we need to create kind of a, a Christian ghetto. I think it would be very easy to start to react like we talked a little bit about demonic involvement. And Paul warned the Corinthians very strongly, as he did in chapter 8, against any involvement in the occult, against any participation in any kind of worship that would involve the demonic. And certainly in our own time, we've recognized that there's been a rise in the influence of the demonic. Now, when we talk like that, it's easy to be threatened and you begin to feel that everything is influenced by those kinds of things. You begin to think that there's objects. You begin to think that there might be some kind of food or some kind of drink that in itself is an evil thing. And you also can become very afraid of unbelieving people. And what can start to happen is that a group of believers begin to draw into themselves. They become a group of people that are divorced from unbelieving people. The unbelieving people, you know, know that they have a church building where they worship. The unbelieving people know that they're a little different. I think it's very possible that some of our neighbors think that we're a little different. They feel that you're just a little different. You talk a little different, you act a little different, and you're one of those religious people. The category that the unbelieving people have is the category of religious people. You know, there's the Amish people, and they're very different. In other words, they wear different clothes. They won't drive vehicles. When Mary and I were there, uh, you had to be careful not to run over a buggy or that the buggy didn't run over you. And they worship in very specialized, unique ways. In fact, people go from all over the world to see the differentness. And they enjoy it. It's a very unique thing. It's quaint. But that's kind of the extreme illustration of how different religious people can be. But I think that that mentality begins to, to infiltrate a group of believers like ourselves. And especially in the light of what the Apostle Paul has been teaching us about how dangerous that secular world system is out there and how wrong it is to be involved in immorality and how careful you need to be not to be involved in the worship of material things. So you can begin to withdraw into yourself and not be involved with unbelieving people. The Apostle Paul finishes this whole section warning the Corinthians about the dangers of idolatry by declaring the freedom that we have in Christ. And he gives us two basic principles. If you want to be free as a believer, if you want to be free in your life, 
you need to listen very carefully to, the, to these two big principles the Apostle Paul gives us. Number one, freedom is to live to build up others. The principle that we're to follow is that we're free. Everything is permissible. But not everything builds up. Everything is permissible. You're not under a bunch of scruples and conscientious rules and regulations. And you have to be very careful what you eat or what you do. You're not under a bunch of rules and regulations. Everything is permissible. Now what keeps that becoming license? What keeps that becoming involvement in the demonic kingdom? What keeps it from becoming that is that we live to build one another up. The Apostle Paul begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, with these words, the words I just quoted. Everything is permissible. You're free. You're not under the Jewish law. You're not under all the clothing laws and the, the, kind, the way you planted crops and the kinds of food that you ate and when you worshipped and what day you worshipped and where you worshipped. Much of the history of religion is a satanic counterfeit to the legitimate revelation of God in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, Paul would not have said everything is permissible because with the Jewish people, God was doing a special thing, making them a separate people, keeping their national identity, keeping them together so that he could bring the Messiah into the world. But the new people of God are not the old Israel, and we are not under all of those rules and regulations. Much of the New Testament wrestles with this interaction with old Judaism and whether or not believers in Christ are genuinely free. The Apostle Paul came down very strongly, you're free. Everything is permissible. But you're to use that freedom to meet other people's needs. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. And the word that the NIV translates constructive is the word that Paul frequently uses of building up the local church, of building up the body of believers, of building up the, the people of God. He says everything is permissible for us, but we need to live to build other people up, to do things that will benefit them. Not because we're trying to earn favor with God. That'll kill you. If you're working to meet other people's needs because you think by doing so you'll earn favor with God, it'll eventually burn you out. Worse than a, a, an old charcoal, piece of charcoal. But if you realize I'm accepted in Christ, I'm loved by Christ, I'm free to be loved by Him, then you can give yourself out of that position of acceptance and love to meet other people's needs. The Apostle Paul in the next verses protects our freedom in regard to food, which we could expand by application, in regard to all kinds of religious rules and scruples and conscientious objections to what you eat, what you drink, what kind of clothes you wear, all that kind of thing. And then he protects our freedom to be involved with unbelieving people. Look what he says. Eat anything sold. This is verse 25. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising any conscientious scruples, would be the way I'll translate it, without bringing up any questions of conscience. For, and then he quotes Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. Or some of you know it as the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. What is it saying? 
Well, this is an, a, something that we don't face every day. Very few of you went down to the meat market this week and you were very concerned about the way that the meat was butchered. We have a butcher in our church. It's probably, there, there he is. Right? I'm glad you're here today, buddy. That's great. Good. In the, Old, in the Old Testament, Mike would have been a priest. Now, he is a priest in the New Testament. But he would have been a priest because he was a butcher. Because all the butchers were priests among the Jewish people. And the reason that was so is because meat in the ancient world was often involved in sacrifice. For example, if you were a worshiper in Corinth and you went to the temple of, let's say, Asclepius, the god of healing, and you went there with friends, a priest would sacrifice the animal, would cook it after he butchered it very carefully, and then he would give you of the meat. And it would be all part of the festival. Now, they couldn't eat all of it in the temple, so they took what was left over and they sold it in the meat market of Corinth. So when you moms and some of you dads and some of you that are single went down and bought that meat, there was a very good chance it had been offered to an idol. Now, the Jewish people made a big deal about that. They would not eat that meat that had been offered to an idol because they felt that it was unclean. They felt that somehow some evil spirit, something of that kind, had gotten into that meat and it would be a desecration. It would be blasphemy to eat that meat. And so when a Jewish person went to the meat market, they would only buy from kosher butchers. Jewish butchers, which by the way, if you've ever been exposed to Jewish people, that tradition has been passed down for 2,000 years now, right from the time of Christ. I was raised with Jewish kids. And they had to be very careful about the meat that they ate. And it was butchered very carefully, according to Orthodox Jewish laws, if they were Orthodox Jews. So you can feel a little bit about that tension. Now, what does that do? That separates you from people. Most people just go to the meat market and just buy what's there. But if you were a Jew, you had to be very careful and you would ask the butcher, what was this meat used for? Was it offered in an idol temple? And if it was offered in an idol temple, you would go, bad, bad, bad. I couldn't possibly have that. It would taint me. So how do you think your unbelieving friends would feel then about this Jewish person who won't even eat the food? Well, they would respect you very possibly. They would admire your religious scruples and how careful you were. And they would probably say, well, I'll never be as good as you. But they would push you away into a different category. You cannot feel how liberating and how radical it was for the Apostle Paul to tell the Corinthians, when you go to the meat market, don't ask any questions. Just buy it. You don't understand how radical that was. Jewish believers would be on their ear over that. It would be conflict, be very difficult to handle in the church. But the Apostle Paul is teaching us a very important point. Satan and evil are not in physical things. One of the things that Satan is always trying to tell you is that he gets into things. He gets into meat. He gets into clothes. He gets into things. I want to share something with you. He gets into people. He influences people. He influences the way you think. He influences the way you live. There's not evil located in material things. 
We live in a good earth. In fact, the Apostle Paul will make the radical statement that he has come to believe that there's nothing in all of God's good creation that is evil in itself. All the physical things that are around us, there is nothing that's evil in itself. It's when men and women use the good gifts that God has given to us illegitimately. Now, based upon that principle, as a family of believers, when you go home today and you sit down at a meal, take time to say, we praise you, Lord, for your creation and for all the benefits of it. That's why we say grace at a meal, because we live in God's creation. And when we bow our heads, some of you that have been raised in Christian homes say, why should we pray? You know, it's just perfunctory. It isn't perfunctory at all. It's a great expression of gratitude. It's a confession that we realize that God is the creator and that he's not Scrooge and that he's bountifully sent the rain, he's bountifully sent the harvest, and he has enabled cattlemen and agricultural people in an unbelievable way across the United States to provide the most bountiful feed that people have ever had in a nation. And Paul is telling us that we shouldn't feel guilty, but we should praise. And we don't have to worry about what that food might have been used for if it was used in a, in a cultic meal. It hasn't done anything to the food. And Paul is declaring this freedom. We are free to enjoy God's creation. I can't stress, it sounds like such a simple principle, but I believe that many of you as believers labor under rules and regulations. And one of Satan's biggest tricks is that he tries to convince you that a certain kind of food is evil and you will abstain from it and you'll be very conscientious. Or he'll teach you that a certain musical note applied in a totally different area, in the area of music. Believers, there are many, many believers that have an idea that a certain sequences of notes and certain rhythms are evil in themselves. There are sounds that are intrinsically evil. Paul is saying, no, they're not. There aren't any sounds that in themselves are evil. They're just sounds. Now, there are evil uses in people for those sounds. When people play certain sounds and they engage in, in a frenzy and they engage in very seductive behavior and they worship immorality, then it becomes wrong. But it's not the sound that's wrong and it's not the sound that makes it evil. It's what Satan is doing with that sound. It's very important to recognize that. Many parents of teenagers need to recognize that. Because as our kids grow older, they do some different things than we do. They don't want to wear the clothes that we've picked out for them for the last 15 or 14 or 13 years. Do they? And if you parents are honest, and I can speak from real experience now, and it's hard on you. When I was on the radio, a lady called up. She was all uptight because teenagers were coming to their church with army pants on. I mean, she was really upset, very upset. How desecrating to the temple of God, coming to the holy place, coming to the temple with unsacred pants on. 
Now, I love that dear lady. I really do. She had a great spirit in the Lord, and I knew exactly where she was coming from. But as we interacted with her, that church family, in fact, it turned out some of the church leaders' kids were wearing those army pants. Now, churches divide over that. When the kids wear something that's a lot different, we start to wonder what's going on. They're going to the devil. And what we do is we make big, major issues about physical things. That's not where the battle needs to be waged. It's in their hearts. Do they love God? Do they want to fellowship with God's people? Do they want to learn God's word? Are they praying? Now, many times there is rebellion associated with physical things. But it's not the physical thing that is evil. It's the heart. It's the pride. It's the arrogance. And that can infest all of us, from adults down to very young children. And so Paul's words to us are very instructive for a church family. We are free to enjoy God's creation. And we can be thankful to God for that. Things are not going to the dogs because the clothes change or because the music changes or because style of worship changes. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. We can cast ourselves into creation and, and, to, and the freedom of doing things new and different while preserving the old and having a whole mix among God's people. Everything is permissible for us, but let's do what builds up one another. We're free to eat. We're free to enjoy. And let's do that together with thanksgiving. Now, he talks about another area. Let's look at these verses. This is amazing. A believer gets an invitation from an unbeliever. Look what it says. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal, they want you to come over to their house, they want you to eat with them, and you want to go. How horrible. I want you to think of how, how horrendous this situation is. I mean a real, live, breathing unbeliever. Do you know what that is? It's someone that hasn't invited Christ in their heart. We're not talking about someone that doesn't go to church. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about an individual that hasn't come to the place in their life where they've understood the gospel, where they've understood that Christ died on the cross for their sins, where they've understood that Christ rose again from the dead, and that someone doesn't get to heaven by trying to be good enough. You get to heaven by believing that he's good enough and that his death in our place was good enough. And you put all your confidence for eternal life in Christ. An unbeliever is someone that hasn't reached that point where they trust in Christ like that. Now, they can do that anywhere, anytime, any place. Because it's not joining a club. It's not joining a church. It is being born into God's family. Do you all understand that? And what I just went through is very important because you should be able to go through that. An unbeliever, maybe your next-door neighbor, moves in. And they notice you're a little different. You know, you talk about the Bible. You talk about Jesus. You pray. They watch the way you interact with your kids. And their kids play with your kids. And they notice that your kids sometimes quote Bible verses to them while their kids are cussing. And they want you to come over to eat. What do you do? 
Some of you have been raised in churches where your pastor would tell you, horrors! Interaction with the world. Man alive, come out from among them and be ye separate. Paul's going to say that in 2 Corinthians. And he's talking about coming completely away from idolatry, not having anything to do with pagan worship, but he's not telling us not to have anything to do with pagans. In fact, the Apostle Paul says you need to get involved with pagans. And so he says the incredible thing. First of all, unbelievers should invite you to come over to their house because you're not so divorced from them. You're not so different from them that they realize you're people. I've had people tell me that at times. You know, after they've interacted, they say, hey, you are a minister, but you're, you are a person. And I understand what they mean because a lot of the ministers that I interact with are very different. You know, you would think that they never enjoy a ball game. They would never go skiing and hurt their foot. Because I went to do a holy thing. I was the preacher at the camp. Mary's really got on me about that. But you can't preach 24 hours a day. You just can't do it. And a lot of people think that because we're believers that we're weird. And we've got to break that down. We've got to get rid of all that. Because that's keeping people from hearing the good news. The good news is not about a religious style. It's not about culture. It's not about church. It's about relationship. And you all know that. But how quickly we fall into the old patterns. We do so easily fall back into the old patterns. In fact, I think that Satan works double time he works overtime to get believers isolated from unbelievers. I think that he tries to get believers to get some strange ideas about what they can do and what they can't do. I think that he works very hard to get us to get off on tangents where we miss the heartbeat of God's passion to reach the world for Christ. And instead, we become very concerned about some side issues and we begin to just set up an entirely different culture. Even as I've talked today, it's like a ghetto culture. And instead of invading the unbelieving world and developing friendships and developing the kinds of relationships that can lead to the in-depth discussions that we need to have, we begin to pull away from unbelievers. And we begin to spend all of our time in with Christians. We begin to spend all of our time involved in church activities as Good as they might be, if we genuinely believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and if we genuinely believe that unbelieving people are going to be lost eternally unless they respond to Jesus, then it is unethical for us to stay separate from them and, and divorced from them and to not enter into the kinds of relationships in every walk of life, the university, the athletics, law, education, uh, different countries around the world, we need to become world believers who have a passion to see men and women from every walk of life and from every nation bow before the living Christ. I trust that this statement that we've been working on today where Paul said for the believer that everything is permissible and yet we need to guide our actions by the ethic of love that we need to do things that will benefit others, but we don't need to feel uptight about food laws and what we wear and our clothes, but instead we can rejoice in the freedom 
and we can go on and declare Christ to others. We're going to be going on in our discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and following. And this is Dave Wurtson, and I trust that as we've spent this time studying the Word of God together, that you have been stimulated and encouraged to think through this issue of what does it mean to genuinely separate from the idolatry of the world, and what does it also mean to have a passion to reach the world of unbelievers with the gospel of Christ. And I trust that some of you will get in touch with us, that you'll write us here at Truth Encounter and at Box 580, Midlothian, M-I-D-L-O-T-H-I-A-N, Midlothian, Texas 76065, and that you'll share with us some of the experiences that you're having as you develop relationships with unbelievers. And you can pray for us as we try to impact the Dallas-Fort Worth area and also through their broadcast to be able to impact God's family with some real solid biblical teaching that will stimulate all of us to think through these issues of what is true separation from the world versus a false separation which will take away the opportunities that we need to have to present the good news. 